0: Sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. You can sign up for a free CBT Nuggets trial. There is no credit card required to sign up and you will have access to the entire training library. Visit cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking. That's cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking. Welcome to Heavy Networking. Today, we're going to talk data center fabrics with Russ White. And Russ, you've had data center fabrics on the brain lately, man. I've seen you writing about it on your blog, and you just recorded a show about it that got published on The Hedge. And along the way, for whatever reason, I pinged you and said, hey, I've been wanting to do a state of data center fabrics in 2022 episode. And and here you are to talk data
1: center fabrics some more. Dude, I'm just plugged into an access port.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Russ, before we started recording, you had mentioned that you were frustrated with some things going on in the data center space and that you need some people to get their butts in gear. Well, that's a good way to start the show. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) So there are two things that are kind of frustrating me with data center fabrics today. The first is, is that we are in love with BGP as our underlay fabric. And, oh, my gosh, could we please stop it already? (laughs) I mean, come on, people. ISIS is not that hard to learn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that the objection? People just don't know ISIS? I mean, why has BGP taken over in the uh, the data center space?
1: I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, too, that people are scared of anything now. I mean, Ethan, you may remember this 20 years ago you and I would sit and talk at Cisco Live or wherever we were. And everybody would be like, oh, I don't want to use BGP in my network. It's so complex, so hard. Oh, my, please stop. I don't want to use BGP. Oh, we to learn that stuff. Nowadays, nobody knows anything but BGP. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, BGP always felt odd to me
0: in, in the data center space. I remember interviewing um, Pedro Lupita. Lepukov, who was at Microsoft at the time and was making the case to use BGP, not because BGP was so amazing, but more from an SDN perspective, it had some features that lent to some programmability and traffic steering and such. And that was more their use case.
1: Yeah. And, And it's available and it's scales. And yeah, I mean... Okay, you know, if you're building a data center fabric today, please just consider another underlay than BGP. I mean, it's great for an overlay. You're going to use EVPNs, awesome, whatever, use BGP. But if you're, but for your underlay, come on, you know? <laughs> well, okay, so let, let's dive
0: into that for a minute. If you're recommending ISIS or, uh, or maybe single area OSPF, something like that, would that be another option worth considering?
1: Yeah, single, single area zero OSPF, single level, level two flooding domain in ISIS. Mm hmm. Would be my preferred. I mean, of course, I'm an ISIS person, so I like ISIS better than OSPF. Don't tell anybody I said that. (laughs) (laughs) And Are you picking uh, ISIS in this scenario? Let's just
0: stick with that as our underlay. You're recommending that because uh, of why over
1: BGP? Well, it's a lot easier to configure for an underlay. You just turn it on and it runs. It converges faster. Um, You get a full LSDB. Uh, you know, you don't get the, tra- well, you do get some traffic steering stuff, but most of your traffic steering stuff is in the overlay anyway nowadays. I mean, to, to a large degree, it has to interact with the underlay to get there. But, and here's a little known fact about, about Spine and Leaf Fabrics. I don't care how many stages it is. You actually only need, one, if you're using something like SR to steer traffic through your network, you really only need one label you can steer the entire, pretty much the entire path with one label. And I mean, there's, there's some variability on the up, on, on going towards the the top of the fabric, but that's, it's not as difficult. You don't need as much traffic, as much traffic engineering work in a data in a spine and leaf fabric to steer traffic than you do in a wide area network or a long haul network. So there's, there's a bit of overblown expectations and, and complexity we're throwing at things that I don't entirely understand why we do this stuff. We love complexity and we love our tapes. <laughs> so, you know, there's a bit of like, I don't know. I, I just, from a security perspective, failure domain perspective, stuff like that, I just prefer run an IGP in your underlay. You know, I get it for the overlay, but the underlay, IGPs are IGPs, EGPs are EGPs. I mean, like, it's kind of a thing.
0: Can we point the blame of BGP and the data center back to whatever that RFC was that came out that somebody was doing and they tried to codify it with the IETF?
1: Well, at the time, it made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. In today's world, I don't know that IGP, I mean, people, they talk about scale. Okay, well, I mean, I've seen 5,000 intermediate systems in a single ISIS flooding domain with 125,000 reachable destinations. Like, really, is your data center bigger than that? Seriously? Well, and when we're talking about
0: scale in regards to a routing protocol, to me, one of the big things is um, it's less about routes and that sort of thing. And it's more about how quickly can it converge? And back in the day, we cared about scale and we did a lot of routing design based on what the control plane CPU could actually handle in a reasonable amount of time. And we
1: really don't have those limitations today. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's to me, it's all about convergence speed and ease of configuration. I mean, I know I can automate the heck out of BGP or out of any protocol I want to. But now I, I'll tell you a funny one. I ran into a design the other day where they're stripping the AS path at every hop and they're using a different EBGP at, every, um, at every, you know, every router in the data center fabric has its own AS number. And then they're stripping the AS path at every hop and they're installing filters using automation to block routing loops. And it's like, can I just make a suggestion? Just do statics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're at the point here where I don't know. And this is another frustration of mine is this whole thing with the argument uh, argumentum uh, de, uh argument to automata. You know, <laughs> argumentum day automata. Oh, oh my! I can automate it, so it's simple. I saw somebody the other day that said, "Well, you can automate ten thousand hosts. I mean, pretty easily." And I'm thinking, do you live in the real world?
0: <laughs> now, when you're getting that automation here, like uh, if the argument, in, if one of the arguments in favor of BGP is, oh, well, we know the protocol so well, there's all these models built around it. I can throw automation at that protocol. Well, th- you can do that with ISIS or OSPF 2 right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not that big of a deal. And the thing is, if you're using a real IGP, there's just less to automate. So, <laughs> so you know, I don't know. It just seems weird. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. So my second frustration mm-hmm. is, is, is names. Oh, my goodness. Can we please get our terminology nailed down and do something about it? Like So names. So leaf. things like uh, clo fabric, leaf spine,
0: three stage, five stage, seven stage, and what all that stuff means or something else?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, a five-stage not a clove fabric. It's either a vanesh or a butterfly. But, you know, so people are oh, it's a five-stage clove. Well, it's not a five-stage clove. Charlotte Clone never designed a five-stage fabric in his life. It's a three-stage. And, and then the whole meaning of the word folded. Oh, I draw it with all the leaves on the bottom, and it's a folded fabric. No, that's not what it means. That's not what folded means. And then and then, and then the spine, leaf spine, super spine. And then when you get a seven-stage, it's a super, super spine. Like, just no, stop in, it. In in, the,
0: in a, <laughs> a podcast you guys just published on The Hedge, Tom proposed not a super, super spine, but an, the ultra spine. I liked that. The I ultra that was
1: spine. Good. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, guys. The, do, do, do the routers at the top of the fabric have little capes, do you attach capes to them because they're super <laughs> spines? I don't know. <laughs> I just like... Can we come up with names for these things that actually make sense and describe what we're talking about and and stick with them? I don't know. It just
0: drives me crazy. (laughs) Well, you're solving two problems. There's the engineering architecture perspective that wants to be very precise and pedantic and define exactly what it is and words mean things and therefore we want to get it right. But then there's the marketing where you're just trying to put a term out there that can generate some buzz and carries a different sort of a meaning meaning that is implied in writing and white papers and the such like.
1: Well, I mean, overlay fabrics, campus fabrics. Okay, a fabric has a meaning. The word fabric has a meaning. (laughs) Okay,
0: actually, that is one of my questions for you. When we talk data center fabrics, Right. There's campus fabrics. There's overlay fabrics. There's a lot of things that have gotten the word and fabric appended. Yeah, so so fabric. when we're talking data center <laughs> fabric, what do we mean so that it qualifies in Russ's mind as a fabric?
1: So a fabric has two distinguishing characteristics to me. The first is, is it's very regular. It's a very regular layout, which leads to, um, which leads to the ability to do these kind of repeatability steps, like we get in modularization, right? It's a module, it's but it's sub modularization because it's not modularization in the hierarchical sense. It's modularization just from a physical topology perspective, right? And it gives you repeatability. And if it's not a regular thing, like if it's not something where I can take these four routers out and put them over there and they have the same basic connectivity and they look the same, it's not a fabric. The other thing is fabrics are always non-planar, which means... You can't get from here to there without, you can't cross the fabric without crossing points where two lines overlay in the diagram. And these non-planar networks are very difficult for routing protocols to converge on. 90% of your problems in routing protocols convergence come from non-planar topologies and large loops, anything over three hops. Well, no, so, so non-planar,
0: Let, let's let's back up a second here. So in that scenario, when you're talking about a data center fabric, we do not connect leaves directly one to another. Everything has to exactly. go through the spine.
1: Yeah. That's right. Yep, that's right. And because it does, they always have to cross. If you look at the de- diagram of a spine and leaf fabric, you'll see that you cannot untangle it such that there are lines that don't cross. It's non-planar. Like you have to go outside mm-hmm. the plane to get from point A to point B. So these are, I mean, the regularity, the non-planarness, just the way that it's scale out rather than scale up, you know, just these, these are different characteristics of a fabric. And quite often when we talk about data, and by the way, I ran into this the other day, going back to naming for a second. There's somebody who's building fabrics on their campuses and they're using data center design tools to do it. So they call their leaves, they don't call their leaves leaves, they call them wiring closets. Mm-hmm. And they call it and they call their their spined um BDFs. And you're like, okay, okay. stop. <laughs> stop.
0: <laughs> so for yeah. you then, a fabric is defined by its topology. It has less yes. to do with what's running over it,
1: but and more about how the plumbing is done. Is that fair? How the plumbing is done, right, what the connectivity looks like, mathem- it's mathematical principles, really. And I couldn't go back and tell you the mathematical principles other than saying it's regular, it's non-planar, it's scale, up, it's scale out rather than scale up, you know, things like that. And this even comes into questions about when you're using chassis devices to build your spine, you know. I, you and could argue then, that a chassis you, device- yeah. And chassis
0: device th- is, is, is its own um, little leaf fabric. spine. Yeah. It's its yeah. own fabric, right? You got line cards mm-hmm. plugged into a backplane of some sort, and maybe there's a fabric yeah. card in there. Yeah.
1: So I always tell people when you build a three stage with a chassis device in the center with a multi FE, I shouldn't say chassis, I should say multi FE, because not all multi FE boxes are chassis, and some chassis boxes are single FE. There, there are, there's, you know, we're blurring lines again. Yeah. But when you get to a de- when you get to a device that has a fabric inside the box, you're actually building a banesh. You're not building a cloth fabric, right? Because, yeah. because you, you've got another crossbar fabric, fabric inside, inside, that, inside
0: that the packets exactly. have to flow exactly. through to get from one and one and ASIC to another. it's already yeah. a five
1: stage. Yeah, yes, it's a five stage once you've done that, right? So, yeah, so yeah, that's that's kind of the I, maybe maybe it's just because we don't understand the terminology very well, and we don't understand the historical precedent for the terminology we just tend to and partially it's just because of marketing i mean it sounds so much better to say i'm building a i'm I'm building an overlay fabric than it is to say i'm building an overlay network well
0: marketing can conflate the terms and try to uh, and so terms get reused in places where they're not as technically accurate as they as they might be i'm going to go back to router and switch right right (laughs) What does that even mean today? Right. Used to have very specific (laughs) meanings. And there were things called bridges, which were distinct from switches potentially, even though they were similar. And there were routers, bridging routers, which were different things again. uh, And there were gateways. For us, we're really dating ourselves here. (laughs) we're, We're talking 20 odd years ago. (laughs) <laughs> all right, now another point you made when defining what a data center fabric is, you mentioned that it's gotta be repeatable, modular. You should be able to take um, you know, a, a rack that would be in the leaf and plug it in somewhere else in the data center and it would be all just fine because you've made everything same, same. All right, if that's the case, um, do I build a fabric or buy a fabric? You know What I'm getting at here is if I'm just gonna be buying a pallet of gear that's gotta be same, same and like, like everywhere, do I just talk to a vendor and say I want to buy a fabric from you, and it's going to be made up of you know whatever the mix of leaf and spine switches are, or do I just build my own and kind of maybe it'll be same same in various roles, but I'm kind of rolling my own fabric because I want top of rack to have these features and I want spine to have these other features and so on.
1: Yeah. So I don't I don't know if a, does a are there any vendors that sell an entire fabric that'll like ship you a fabric or well, does everybody you, just you ship you the equipment and like they they do the design? Is this a question about who does the design work or is this a question about who does the... Yeah. What What would
0: you... so So what would you recommend to the average data center builder? That they work with a vendor who's going to help them design and stand up the entire thing and it's going to be single source from a vendor? Or do you... Is there a point in getting fairly granular with the roles of each switch at each tier?
1: Um, Yes and no, it depends. Um, and, and part of this is about like, this is another frustration of mine, by the way, is, is the collapse is the collapse spine idea where I'm doing all my routing in the spine and the leaf switches or the leaf switches are just switches. They're just layer two. Like, no, again, <laughs> that's not what a fabric does. That's not how you do routing in a fabric, but people do it but yeah, I mean I think it depends on your experience of course that's what it always going to depend on is your experience and where you want to go I mean like so if you don't mind being sing- single vendor for each one of your fabrics, then cool let the vendor help you um, and in fact, many vendors will help you design things even if you're not using their equipment alone, even if you're mixing vendors uh, where this is going to get sticky is with automation. And with, you know, things like Appstra or, uh, what is it, Cloud Vision or um, ACI or things mm-hmm. like that, where things are going to get sticky with using multi-vendor stuff. Um, and, and all of those will claim to do multi-vendor. You just have to, like, be but, cognizant. But cloud, cloud- vision, whatever it is, is, is Arista. So
0: presumably it's going to be the very best with the Arista gear and abstracts. Right. Exactly. So so you
1: have to be conscious of that and understand those limitations and ask about those limitations and not just make assumptions. Right. That's the only thing that they, they, they all can do these things. You just have to not be, just be cautious about what you're doing and ask questions. So I guess, you know, it depends on your experience level. It depends on day two whether you want to operate the fabric yourself or whether you want something like Appstra to do the fabric operations for you or cloud vision or ACI or whatever it is, um, or some other, some other system, whatever that might happen to be. Um, so a lot of those things are going to come and and this is something you want to think about is day two and a life cycle, right? Where, Where do you want to be in five years? Do you want to be going to the same vendor to buy their gear or do you want to be placing yourself where you can, um, buy gear from multiple vendors in order to build that fabric because in five years, you might change your mind.
0: So so there's two ways we could look at this. On the one hand, operating a data center fabric feels like undifferentiated heavy lifting to me. Design the thing, get the oversubscription correct for the traffic that's flowing through this thing, and you just want it to work. So don't I want Cloud Vision, Appstra, ACI, whatever it is, to just handle all of that management for me? I don't want to think about it anymore. On the other hand, maybe I do want to operate this thing because I get a business advantage out of operating it in some special mm-hmm. way. Um uh, I don't know. I guess I could go either so, way on so, that, Russ.
1: So that that is <clears throat> Yeah, that's something that uh again, if you use a simpler design with clearer or with with more clearly defined Um, planes or more clearly defined overlay, underlay, et cetera, et cetera, the closer you can get to operating it yourself because you're reducing the complexity needed in the automation system. This is one of your trade-off points, right? Mm -hmm. Where is it? Is it better to over, to automate everything and let it all be complex? Or is it better to think through how can I make it simpler so I can automate it or not so I can run it with less automation Um, day two and etc and then the other question is where does the commercial automation system lead you whatever the automation system is you use it doesn't matter where does automation system lead can you pull it out and operate the network yourself or pulling does pulling it out mean it's greenfield to you (laughs) right right i mean i don't know the answers to these right I'm just saying as an intelligent network operator, these are questions I'd be asking. I'd be asking these types of questions if I were building a fabric today. Like, what what do I do? Mm. And again, it may be that your business situation is such that you're going to say, no, I'm going with abstract and bada bing, I'm sticking with it for the rest of the life cycle of this entire data center. Mm -hmm. And it's all going to be Juniper product and it's all or Juniper partner product. And I'm happy with that or stuff that, that Apstra supports, right? Not necessarily Juniper, because Aputure supports other stuff. Lots of other stuff well. actually, yeah. Yeah, so so as long as you're happy with the equipment list and, and the software list that Apstra supports, and you're cool, and you're happy with that, and you just want to do plug and play, and just want to have a GUI, go for it, mm. awesome.
0: Let me dump some of the worms out of this can of worms that we've opened, Russ, and extend this even further. So is you're a fan of disaggregation, You have been, unless you've changed your position. But uh, is data center fabric a good use case for disaggregation?
1: Depends on what you mean by disaggregation. Buying your software and hardware from separate people, or at least giving yourself that option, is generally a good idea, in my opinion. It's not always feasible. I've noticed an ongoing trend among even hyperscalers that they are struggling to get open source network operating systems to work to support certain things to the point where they're going back to using vendor gear in particular roles.
0: Like they can't make Sonic do something that they need. And so they're looking back at the fully integrated stack.
1: Yeah, or, you know, there are scaling issues or whatever it is that that, that you run into. So I think that disaggregation is still a thing. And I think that it's still something that people should be looking at as a longer-term thing, if possible, in the data center, and I think the data center is the most rational place to put it. By the way, is one of the most rational places to do it, due to disaggregation. But I think that the the fever pitch has died down a little bit, and we're more in the long slough of trying to make it work. And 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 don't and don't forget that you know when you talk about disaggregation, it doesn't mean you have to use open source for everything, right? I mean. Genos Evo is disaggregated. You can run stuff on Evo. It, um, yes, there's, right. Write, and there's- um, There's intermediate steps is what I'm saying, Octanos right? and, can, and various other commercial Viata, stacks. You can, get, yeah. you can get CRPD, Viata, you can get other routing stacks that you can yep. run on top of other operating systems that will help you. That There are intermediate places you can go that you're not necessarily tied either direction. But
0: you, you, again, you'd want to disaggregate it from a standpoint of uh, of operations, or at least that's what I think of—not features yep. so much, but it makes your ops life better because of how you're yep. doing automation. Let's say is that
1: yeah, exactly. And and the other thing about disaggregation is you know, back in back in the day, disaggregation also meant getting off of chassis devices or multi FE boxes and going to single FE. So single forwarding engine boxes. I keep mm-hmm. saying FE, mm-hmm. forwarding mm-hmm. and single ASIC or single FE forwarding engine, because some forwarding engines are not at ASIC. Some of them are whatever else they are. Um programmable ASICs or even FGAs. Yeah, uh, yeah NPUs or yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I hate to use the term ASIC because it's kind of over, it's not broad enough to to cover all the options. Yeah, if we're gonna anyway, be precise
0: about what a data center fabric is, whereas we gotta be
1: precise about that silicon too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So you know, disaggregation can also mean getting, getting out of the, the multi-FE boxes and getting onto single-FE boxes where possible, hmm. which means, again, disaggregation in that sense means I'm getting rid of those internal fabrics. Hmm. I'm, I'm externalizing the fabric is all visible to network operations. There's no invisible hidden fabrics in my network. Yeah. Kind of a the, thing, the, the black right? box of the chassis, yes. Yes, yes Exactly. Yeah.
0: We pause today's podcast discussion for training talk with heavy networking sponsor CBT Nuggets. I care about IT training because it's been a big part of my IT career since I started going all the way back to 95. I began my IT infrastructure journey, learning Novell stuff. And over the years, trainings never stopped for me because sometimes going for cert, sometimes I just need to get a better handle on something new, but I am always learning something to deliver the best networks that I can. As you research your own training needs, consider CBT Nuggets. CBT Nugget specializes in training for networking, cloud, and security. They cover other material too, but they have an especially huge library of training material for Cisco, AWS, Juniper, Linux, Microsoft, and VMware. Thousands of videos, thousands of hours of content, which which is not meant to scare you. It's okay. You don't have to watch them all at once. Just know that what you need is there when you need it. For example, all of you that are getting into network automation now, CBT Nuggets offers Cisco DevNet Associate and DevNet Professional Training. I have been reviewing the DevNet Blueprint material from Cisco. I can tell you, you are going to want training to get through these programs and make the most of them. Uh, DevNet material, it's not like learning a new routing protocol. It's learning how to manage infrastructure as code. And if you're a traditional ops person, that's really what I am. It's a whole new way of thinking. There's so much more than DevNet training there at CBT Nuggets. I've spent some time with the interface digging through the catalog. It's easy to navigate. I sampled several videos. The audio and the video quality are excellent, and the instructors are easy to understand. They are personal. They are engaging. They are not formal and boring, and some, some of them even wear a cowboy hat. Besides the training itself, there is a great support system to help you get a handle on the material with virtual labs and accountability coaching. Now is a great time to sign up for CBT Nuggets. Visit cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking to take advantage of their seven days free trial offer. Try it for a week. See if you like it. Commit if you do. Cancel if you don't. Seems fair. cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking for seven days free. That's cbtnuggets.com slash heavy networking. And now back to the podcast I so rudely interrupted. Well, uh, okay, so we've been talking a little more hardware and topology-centric, but let's talk uh, software. We've mentioned the overlay and used the term overlay fabric uh, came up. Are we talking typically EVPN, VX, LAN these days, or are there other uh, software schemes, if you will, that make up my data center fabric worth considering?
1: Yeah, so I think that the... Preeminent, premier, whatever you want to say, the most common and the default that everybody runs to right now for an overlay is going to be EVPN.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, whether it's EVPN VXLAN or whether it's EVPN or some other transport than VXLAN mm-hmm. is kind of local to what you need to get done. I mean, EVPN and PLS does exist. I mean, I guess it does. I mean, you know, you can run other transports down there. Yeah. But I think EVPN VXLAN is probably the premier thing that people use in the overlay because it just has so many capabilities it's built on BGP. Uh, You know, you have layer two, you have layer three mapping. I think it's gotten a little bit overly complex in my opinion (laughs) in asymmetric versus symmetric routing and Mm -hmm. all these different things that you get into. It's a bit complex. It's a bit like, okay, really? Do I really need to solve for that corner case? Seriously? Can we just leave that corner case out? type of thing. But that is the preeminent one. Um, and then, you know, then from there you have to go into questions around what do you do with traffic steering in that situation? or using SRV6 or using SRMPLS? How are you doing those types of things?
0: Part of which is, are, uh, is a
1: silicon question, I think. Well, part of that's a silicon question. Part of that is uh, how many hops do you need? Question uh, how you know, how much how much traffic engineering do you well, really need? The, okay. What are so, your real use cases?
0: So you've brought up traffic steering and data center fabrics a few times. Give me some common use cases for that because that's not immediately obvious to me.
1: Yeah, I know. In fact, I have a meeting next week about this because it's not immediately obvious to a lot of people. And and I'll preface this by saying I don't know of many people. I can't think of a single network right now that's done more than just talk about traffic steering on their data center fabric. Um, I mean, even the hyperscalers don't tend to do traffic steering. They tend to, to reserve their traffic steering when they get up to DCI hmm. and when they get to, you know, other places like that. So traffic steering, the biggest one that I would think of is in a multi If you get into, uh, let's see, if you get into what are we? Okay, so. Let me try to give you an example. If I have a multi five-stage butterfly. <clears throat> and so I have multiple planes over which I can send traffic. And I'm going to deploy multicast and I'm going to deploy video over the same fabric. Mm-hmm. It may be like if I want to deploy multicast for trading floor information or for stock market information, that has a different profile than video does. So there's two ways I can solve that problem. The first way I can solve that problem is with quality of service. But as we all know, quality of service is really just an excuse for not putting a bandwidth in place. Right. <laughs> so the other way to solve the problem is to just use traffic steering to get like traffic together on a single plane or through a single subset of boxes in a three-stage glow.
0: Right. Ew. I so, mean, Oh, uh, great. Yeah. No, I meant to. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm,
1: are you tracking? I mean, you
0: understand the use I'm case. I'm tracking you. Know, whether it's a you, valid it just, use case or
1: not. You it doesn't, know, feel, it doesn't
0: feel right with me. It's like, it, it, that's a scenario where you're dealing with potential traffic congestion issues that you don't want some heavy hitter to impact the,
1: um, yeah. the, the SLO so of some other stuff. flows. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And you can deal with it with QoS. But QoS is complex and you have to deploy it on a lot of switches in a large fabric. So why not just segregate the traffic onto different paths through the fabric itself? So, if I've got all these paths, if I have 256 paths, why not just separate the traffic? Right? Yes.
0: The way we used to, we, 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 we go from converge to unconverged to, you know, separate. And it just, it's, it's mad. Yeah, Back exactly. in the day we used to take up extra rack real estate and extra power to uh, build out separate switching fabrics just to handle, you know, this sort of a scenario, and
1: ugh, I mean, it's it's a perfectly valid. It's a perfectly valid. So, I mean, and again, this is all going to come down to, to utilization rate, right? Mm-hmm. right? If your trap, if your fabric is only utilized at, I don't know, one percent, then you may not care. If you're building a fabric that's one to one oversubscribed, which is an expensive fabric to build and then you're running it at 60, 70% utilization, then, you know, this might be a better, I don't know, this might be better than quality of service.
0: Well, and I'm going through that in my head. If I build out the QoS policies to deal, to drive that um, potential congestion that I'm going to have from one traffic type versus another, it gets complicated depending on what chips are in there, how much buffer management mm-hmm. I need to deal with, how many traffic classes I'm concerned about. But it's it's... Possible, is it simpler to build out a different set of policies that just steers traffic through across separate physical links and maybe through different parts of the? Well, you said multi planar through different planes, I suppose. Yeah, like through different planes
1: that. or through, like I mean, like if you even run in a three stage clo, if you put, if you have 16, if you have, say, 16 spines or 16 T1s, which, you know, T0 being the leaf, T1 being the spine, T, T2 being, you know, you continue up with your stages. Mm-hmm. If you have 16, maybe you make four of them have deep buffer and the other 12 have shallow buffer. And you steer traffic that is okay with being buffered through the four and traffic like video that it's okay, it's better if you drop it, right? Or voice if it's better if you drop it through shallow buffer boxes. Now, again, is that simpler than QoS? I just feel like I
0: wouldn't want to build it this way. If If I knew going in Greenfield that I was going to have this problem, I would think about partitioning having multiple data center fabrics, yes and, and, and isolating DCI my workloads. Between them. Yeah, with DCI yeah. between them. Yeah, so isolate right. the specific workloads with specific traffic right. characteristics to a particular fabric. Because, and because not in have because think about any of this.
1: Yeah, because in reality, you want every you really want your fabric to look like a single switch from the outside. Yeah, yeah. All the ports should be pretty much the same. Now I get that like when you build pods, some pods could be network heavy and therefore have one-to-one oversubscription and other pods could have storage heavy and maybe they're two-to-one oversubscription. And some are compute heavy and maybe they're three-to-one oversubscription or whatever mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. numbers are, just, just pick your numbers. I get that, right? But then you're making your consistency from the pod into the fabric, from the, fa- the pod facing ports on the T- T1 layer towards the fabric and you know whatever instead of the consistency being on the workload facing ports the, the actual t0 workload facing ports and by the way I do this all the time I consider workload facing anything that faces towards the workload from the top of fabric and anything fabric facing yeah know, it's directionally the fabric. yeah, yeah d- these are directional yeah north south yeah. directions yeah well, I,
0: so I got um, I, I got to circle us back around to the data center fabric um, topology. We we you basically said EVPN VXLAN. That's the most common yeah, thing that we I see don't know out there doing today. Else. It, well, yeah. I well, say there, that. there was the, you and I had a recording with uh, Tony P about Rift. I don't know. It goes back mm-hmm. probably three four years now. Did that yeah, ever but become Rift a is thing? it's still
1: an underlay. Rift is still an underlay. That would still rely on EVPN for yeah. overlay. The other the other option would be. Would be something like Kubernetes networking on top and a plain IP fabric with no EVPN layer two capability at all. No, no segmentation, which is happening. Mm-hmm. People are doing that. And and by the way, application-specific fabrics like LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff, they they don't run overlays. Because the overlay is the application, right? There's no segmentation per se. Mm-hmm. The segmentation that exists. Exists because of a distributed firewall system, and packet filters. There's, there's no v, v, uh, VPNs or VERFs or anything. And
0: there's there's and nor is there a, a long distance layer two requirement. Let's say you know L two over yeah. L three. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so if you're in a position where you don't really need the long distance layer two, if you don't need layer two between between um, ports, between workload facing ports at T zero, then why do you need EVPN necessarily unless you have multi tenancy right. of some type? So, if you don't have multi tenancy yes. and you don't have layer two, then in reality, you could do all of your firewalls just using filters at your edge. And then you can let the application handle the overlay, the sort of overlay routing, if you will, Kubernetes, NSX, whatever the case happens to be. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you're just carrying around whatever those overlay packets are. And you don't, you don't, you're not state aware of what's going on up there uh, as it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The the data center, there's no data center control plane with state awareness as to what the application's doing. Whereas with EVPN, there is state in the control plane, even though it's the overlay control plane that is aware of application stuff. uh, Segmentation layer two reachability, stuff like that. Another ops
0: question I wanted to follow up on. We we got we were talking about automation and mentioned a bunch of tools that are out there and some of the trade offs if you get into that world. So a very practical question is, if I've got you know thousands of ports out there in my fabric that I'm managing and all these VTEPs and all the rest, I, there's no way that I am doing this by hand, right? I am using some sort of automation, am I not?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think even if you're running a data center fabric of, you know, 10 devices, 10 routers, Hmm. you ought to probably be automating. Of course, if it's that small, you're probably going to use a commercial system. You're not going to use something you've hand built. But as the case might be, you probably you should be automating.
0: And what, what do you mean when you say you should be automating? Is that some, you know, glossy tool that's, you know, doing a bunch of stuff on the back end? Is that a Python mm-hmm. script? What what does that look like in
1: Russ's world? It's a glossy tool that does everything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean by glossy, right? Clicky, clicky. It's got an API off to the side. Cause you gotta deliver that. Are you using it? Maybe. Yeah, I know, you you know. know,
1: it should have every feature you can imagine. It should have SNMP inputs because hey, why not? <laughs> Plus it should have Yang, plus it have GPRC. I mean, it should have everything.
0: Although it has everything, Russ, because someone wrote a check along the way to add that feature to the collective everything. (laughs) That's just the way that works. That's right, that's right.
1: No, I don't know, automation to me is primarily about, you know, a couple of three things. The first is just getting the routing protocol, the underlay and overlay up and running and implementing policies like segmentation, both through edge filtering and through uh, and through like uh, building VTEPs mm-hmm. or building, you know, VLANs or whatever you want to call them. Lexis all the, all the or, tedious bits. Yeah. Yeah. All the tedious bits should all be automated and, and do, and do be careful with, to me, when you go to an automation, do be careful of the complexity of, of the automation system. It is its own beast and try not to make it into a God box that if it fails, the network goes down the, a minute later, hmm. you know, the network should be able to run on its own without, without the automation system for 24, or 48 hours. It may be suboptimal at some point, but it should run. And I think far too often nowadays we're building networks now that won't even run without the automation system up and running. And that's well, a little you... disturbing.
0: It's, you're drawing. It sounds like you're drawing a line between a uh, a tool that would be used to automate the configuration of the boxes, and once they're configured, they're off and running and doing their thing, and they don't care about the, you know, the the tool that was used to do the configuration, versus something that's more like an SDN controller.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I just know that I've run into networks where if the automation system goes down, the network just doesn't work. And that, that disturbs me a little bit because that's a conflation of, that's a conflation of failure domains that we should be very careful about. Well, it Um, it feels like something that is. If if anybody from Facebook is out there listening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Something that's, I was going to say in path, but I don't actually mean it that way. It's something that's participating in the, uh, the control plane on some level. Yes. It's not purely managing
1: the control plane in near real time to make things work. Yes. That right. Yeah. That's, that's not where you want to be. Now, if you are going to deploy SDN, then you have an entirely different set of design criteria for those controllers and stuff and the complexity of those controllers. Um, now you're sucking all the complexity out of the, out of the control plane, the distributed control plane, putting in a centralized box, which can't be a centralized box. It's got to be a distributed set of boxes with all the resiliency that goes with it. But What I see a bit of, not tons, but I've seen it maybe a couple of times, is people building a box that does near real-time adjustment and they think it's just an automation system. Therefore, I don't need to put all of the stuff in there that I would if I were doing an an SDN controller. And then the automation system falls over, A, because it's not well thought out, it's not Mm -hmm. architected properly, and it's complex. And B, because they just didn't build the resilience into the automation system. It's an automation system. Why do I need resiliency, right? (laughs) And then they start stuffing stuff in there that's not really automation. It's really near real-time control. And then it goes down and the network goes kablooey and you've conflated your failure domains and not really thought through what you're doing. Well, you you, you can treat some mean. of these
0: things, you know, having not been fully thought through, you're not really thinking about what you're doing kind of thing.
1: Well... While- because
0: there's lessons you're going to learn in your environment that you're not going to learn until something blows up. And then you're like, oh, I, we, and then adjustments are made because of that. I think it can be very difficult to get such a system, especially when it's complex, correct out of the yeah. gate.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, yeah, it takes a lot of thought and a lot of pre-thinking about what you're actually doing. It takes a lot of software architecture and not many network architecture folk know software architecture well enough to do that job. <laughs> And yet we're out there doing software architecture. Well, let's step away from the
0: software architecture for a second and think more about network topology design, uh, network architecture. If I'm building a data center fabric today, I've got, it's, uh, I'm working for a rapidly growing company where we know we're going to be standing up a lot more compute, a lot more racks over time. How do I get started with my data center fabric so that I'm going to just be able to keep scaling this thing out and growing it and not find myself facing a situation where i have to re-architect the fabric from scratch any points things i should be considering
1: so first thing i would say is if you're rapidly growing always go to a five stage just start from the beginning with a five stage i don't care how small it is when you start start with a five stage it seems like i I could go
0: to thousands of ports on a three stage why why go to a five stage necessarily
1: um because you get a lot more life cycle out of it you get a lot more ability to modify things, and you can. I mean, a five stage is still going to scale larger um, than a three stage ever will, unless you're using multi FE chassis type boxes, right?
0: In my spine, it's if weird. I'm using then, then I can get the port density in the spine with uh, the big chassis. But if I don't want to, and there's lots of reasons we mentioned along the way that maybe I don't want to, you're saying uh, five stage,
1: five stage. I I, I always. I mean. I have a thing that if I, if I get to the point in a network where it's large enough to be a five-stage, just, just get to a five-stage.
0: It. It, is just, there a like a number of host-facing ports where that becomes just painfully obvious, I really
1: should be going a five-stage? I would say that I'm actually going to look because you asked me.
0: Oh, you've got a spreadsheet, don't you?
1: I've got a spreadsheet. <laughs> um, <laughs> So if I were looking at, say, 32-port devices, uh, you know, commonly now we're running 2RU, 64-port devices in a lot of places, right? When I get to the most I'm going to get out of a 32-port device in a three-stage, in a CLO, is going to be, if all my ports are, or all my devices are 32 ports, it's going to be about 1,500 workload-facing ports at like 10 gig or something like that whatever it is, I, I can actually sit here and do the math, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's large, but it's not huge. Now well, if it's, I it's to going to depend
0: st- a bit on the oversubscription. I mean, we can go
1: bigger if that, we, that's we're correct. more tolerant. Yeah, if I'm, talking yeah, right, okay, if I'm talking one-to-ones, I'm talking one-to-ones. Now, if I look at a, if I look at a 32 port device in like a five stage, I'm going to get, I don't know, five times, 10 times that number maybe 10,000 ports, something like that, workload facing edge ports. It's about a 10 to one ratio, I would guess, maybe a bit larger, five stage to three stage. So if I'm really growing fast and I know that even if I know that I can build up to a 1500 or 2000 or whatever it is ports using a three stage, I'm just gonna build a five stage because I know I can go maybe 10 times larger than that with a five stage. It's a CapEx problem. Uh, it's a CapEx problem. It is because you're building the extra fabrics. The other thing that the five stage gives you again is you get life cycle, you get pods, naturally built out pods so that you get life cycle management a lot nicer uh, out of a five than a three. Oh, a pod is in, I I can, I can isolate
0: some group of workloads with, um, with my, my access tier and my, I guess my middle tier, if you will. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. It's very difficult to do a three-stage with different oversubscription rates facing the workload. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a five-stage, it's not that difficult. I can actually build five stages with multiple oversubscription rates to different workloads. Because you and can the isolate one. rate differential is isolated in a pod. Yeah. I can't really do that in a three-stage. It's It's much more difficult to do that kind of thing.
0: So 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 you can build out pods that are custom for a specific workload and still have it all yeah. plumbed together in a common fabric
1: via the Super Spine with its exactly. capes on. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay. And the other thing is um that I always tell people is really think through lifecycle management and especially in a fast growth, it, you know, how long do you think you want equipment to last? How do you intend to remove it and replace it? What? How do you intend to do things like canary testing? Are you going to do chaos monkey? How are you going to lab stuff? How are you going to emulate stuff? Those are all very serious questions you got to deal with. Now, in, you're saying you life cycle
0: and we're having a networking conversation. So you're talking about the life cycle of, uh, of a switch effectively. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to be driven by when do I need to bump up my Ethernet speeds? Is that fair?
1: Well, that and just when it dies. Like switches fail.
0: Power you supplies know? go, the forwarding engines fail. And, yeah, yeah, They just
1: fail. So yeah. like, you know, you've got to think about what does that look like? What does, look, what does it look like to replace one of these devices in my mm-hmm. fabric? Um, how do I direct traffic around it? How do I do stuff to make it? How do I drain the links? How do I make it do what I want it to do? Um, then the other thing I would always say is try to be realistic and build and cap a fabric size and think seriously about what it's going to look like when I have to go to a second fabric, even if it's in the same physical location.
0: I'm not going to go bigger than X number of ports, you're saying, Mm -hmm. and just say we could grow it bigger, but we're not going to. Um, Exactly. and, And why would I get to that certain
1: size and not go bigger? What would be my concerns? Just complexity. Being able to stamp out designs, being able to have the same design in multiple places, rather than having one large fabric, having multiple smaller fabrics, failure domain sizes, you know, there's lots of reasons not to grow over a certain size. But seven seven Um,
0: stage is a thing.
1: Yes. But most of the time where I see seven stages being used is to connect multiple five-stage fabrics. And yeah, it is a seventh stage, but it's really a connectivity issue. Where are you connecting those five stages together?
0: As opposed to there's a lot of traffic going all the way across from, you know, one side of the fabric to the other. It's more about... Yeah.
1: Right. You know, okay. and, and seriously, I mean, if I can build a five stages, it's 120,000 ports. Do I really have an application where I cannot localize the data flow within the application or a set of applications across 120,000 ports. I mean, that seems a little crazy to me. When you get above that size, when you get above that size, you know, you're probably talking about east-west traffic that's running between major applications or something like that. Especially with
0: Kubernetes involved, where you can direct developers to uh, send their workloads to a specific cluster that you have stood those nodes up to be. In a specific, uh, well, I don't know if plane's right. quite the right word, right. but pod, if you will. Not to conflate right. Kubernetes pods with the network pod that we're talking about here, right. but yeah.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there should be some limit where you say, okay, I'm comfortable with a fabric this size. And I won't say what that number is. It just depends on how, how much you're growing. Hmm. And by the way, this also plays into the whole edge thing that I'm seeing a lot. I've just gotten three or four networks I'm looking at where they're deploying tons of smaller fabrics. And I mean fabrics of 1,000 to 2,000 ports, maybe 3,000 ports. But they're deploying 100 of them all over the place.
0: That are interconnected so, in, in some way? That is a five-stage? Yeah, stage, and they're or? interconnected.
1: Yes, they're, they're interconnected. And regionally, they might be interconnected into a seven-stage, right? And then the seven-stages, the regions are connected via points of presence,
0: but if you look at traffic patterns you're saying most of the traffic is staying you know within within, within a three that stage five
1: stage fabric locally five okay yeah and they and they're using and they're using replication processes to pull traffic you know overnight or whatever between or slower replication processes to carry traffic between the multiple fabrics so this is just an interesting thing i'm seeing So
0: give me some other future stuff then. If you're seeing a lot of smaller fabrics out there becoming more common, interconnected in whatever way, but these smaller fabrics with uh, isolated traffic, what
1: else is interesting? Well, it's always higher speed fabrics, right? There's always always 400 gig is coming. 400 gig is coming. 400 gig is coming. Integrated optics are coming. I think that's going to make a difference. Um, I don't know that, on the control plane side, there's a lot else that's that's coming right now mm-hmm. uh, than what we see. I mean, uh, I'm still working on the ISIS work, making it optimal in larger fabrics, and Rift is still out there, and people are still working on things like that. There's a lot more SmartNIC activity, which mm. I don't really understand. I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around the whole SmartNIC thing right now. I get it in some some workloads.
0: uh, I I have my take on smart, What? what what, Why is it a question in your mind?
1: Um, Well, I mean, I can understand it with some workloads, but it seems like it's an awful lot of power and um, other overhead, money overhead to take workload off of a top of rack in some cases.
0: I there don't are, I didn't look at it that the, as the work moving that direction. I've looked at it the other way, work moving off the host and being put into the smart nick for oh that uh, yeah, okay. sort of a It'd function. Be. That that's where but, I think but sometimes I see I'm magic. seeing
1: people say, well, if I run a smart nick, I can run EVPN on the smart nick on the host, and I can take the EVPN off of and make the fabric a plain IP fabric.
0: I haven't heard too, I mean, yeah, I suppose that's a thing you could do, but I I haven't heard too many conversations that way myself. It's been more driven in taking functions off the x86 box that's in the rack, moving it out to the smart NIC so that the x86 can handle more workloads, more, you know, generic compute stuff, pushing all the network functionality into the smart NIC
1: and having the same
0: same rack form factor.
1: Yeah, which then has the problem of what do you do with the control plan once you've done that? And my advice is always extend the overlay, but don't extend the underlay. The underlay should end. The underlay should end on the top of rack. And and,
0: and, and there are different solutions there. Um, If it's uh, Pensando, it is P4 um, doing all the control plane magic into the SmartNIC with some outboard bit of software that's doing that
1: for you. You could run Viata or CRPD on the box and run EVPN directly onto the SmartNIC. Hmm. Kind of a thing, um, you know, some routing hmm. stack, if our routing or CRPD or whatever you want to out there, whether you want commercial or open source or whatever out there on the SmartNIC, but where I see danger coming in there from a SmartNIC perspective is if you want to try to go and extend the underlay protocol to hmm. the SmartNIC, which that doesn't make me very happy. That's, that's a failure domain conflation, a security domain conflation that's I consider very problematic. Well-
0: uh, well, let's let's take let's back up a step here. Um, would you do like do you like BGP to the host on a dual homed host uh, in a data center environment?
1: In the in the overlay, yes, mm. but not in the underlay. Okay. Again, a reason to separate your underlay and overlay protocols. Mm. Because what concerns me about running the underlay is that if somebody attacks and owns that host, roots that host,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you have the underlay control plane running the attacker now owns your entire data center fabric. I mean, that's just... If well, the, there, if there's that, a lot if of it depends host,
0: there, but I, I understand the point you're making, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, if that host is running the underlay control plane, then they can do lots of things to the underlay. Yeah. And in the overlay, sure, there's lots of things you can do, but you're kind of restricted to your VTEP. You're kind of restricted to your segment and what you can play with. Right. There's only so much you can do. I'm
0: smiling a bit just because I I follow your blog and I know you
1: cover a lot of security uh, kinds of content (laughs) these days. So I
0: I know it's on your mind. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Security has been kind of a thing for me for the last five or six years, trying to get my arms around security and privacy and understand them a little bit better. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we, we, maybe we went off too, too far here because we're, we're trying to wrap this up, Ross. And, uh, you know, if we're looking at no, the future stuff, we smaller fabrics. <laughs> you've raised- We uh, could
1: spend another hour talking about we, privacy, dude. <laughs> we totally could.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned smart uh, SmartNICs coming up and with a, with a question mark as to what role they might ultimately play within data center fabrics. Uh, any other trends that are worth paying attention to?
1: Nothing else that I see right now. I mean, there's been some more work around optical switching, but it's on the wide area side. It's not on the data center side at this point.
0: Uh, speeds and feeds wise with Ethernet, you know, 400G is coming and there's certainly on the roadmap, lots of other speed increases. I've seen 800 gig and
1: 1.6T yeah. being talked about. Are we I, have think, to change I think people at some have point? to make... Yeah, I think people have to make a strategic a, a strategic decision. Do they want to jump to 200? Or do they want to stay 100 until 400 hits? Or mm. how do they want to deal with that? Yeah. And then, you know, do you want to keep 100? Do you want to keep 10 to your? I, there's, a, there's another point behind five stage versus three stage is if I'm running 10 to my servers and I'm running 400 in my fabric, 10 to 400 is really, really hard for chipsets to handle. It's, 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 it's a big speed differential. From a, from a buffering so maybe you perspective. You want to go 100 in the pod and 500 or 400 in the, in the, in the, fi, in the fabric side of the five stage, hmm. you know, something like that. You might want to think about speed stepping a little bit when you start getting these radical speed differentials in here. Or do you just want to run 100 gig right to all your servers? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know many servers it'll run 100 gig. I mean, they'll 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 run a hundred gig, but they'll use a hundred gig. Well, Russ,
0: at the top of the show, I mentioned you've had data center fabrics on the brain. Um, you, you've got plenty of content out there about data center fabrics, about BGP. Some of that is on the Packet Bushers YouTube channel. I know you're doing some some work people can sign up for and uh, and and pay for. I think you're doing that with Pearson, right? Uh, yeah. Live lessons, yeah, and with stuff.
1: Pearson, yeah. Safari Books Online, you can always look at my stuff there. I'm doing a I'm doing a I just did a data center fabrics webinar there and I'm going to redo it and build a longer version of that. But I mean, you can always find all that stuff at rule 11. If you just look at rule 11.tech and we were discussing before the show started, I might start doing status updates as a mini stream within the hedge podcast stuff too. So Hmm. that's fine.
0: Yeah. So Russ has got lots and lots of resources out there for you. I mean, many folks that are listening to packet pushes have heard Russ many times in the show and are well aware of all the different educational resources that Russ is offering. But uh, but again, if you're not rule11.tech, he's got links to all his books, uh 12, 13 books you've authored, Russ or co-authored, uh, certainly certainly and know. uh
1: it's I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: just can't keep track.
0: So go up there and uh rule11.tech and figure out everything that Russ is offering and if if nothing else, just subscribe to the blog.
1: Book, my favorite tech book is still the one we wrote together, Ethan
0: computer networking problems and solutions still available yeah that's on, still on, on my that's Amazon. still
1: my favorite tech book. So.
0: still still out there and it's of all you're the books I've one, written it's also one. it's also my favorite it's the only one yeah, I co authored yeah, so yeah, you buy one favorite. buy that one <laughs> <laughs> Russ, thanks for joining us on Heavy Networking today. And uh, thanks to you for listening, Russ, and I rambling about data center fabrics for the better part of an hour. Uh, Oh, hopefully you got value from this episode. And uh, if you did, but you'd like more and maybe you want to talk to someone about data center fabrics and some of the challenges you're facing, go to the Packet Pushers Slack group. Packetpushers.net slash Slack. It's free. There's over 2,000 IT engineers, networking and cloud nerds uh, especially from the world over are hanging around in there chatting, talking about all kinds of stuff. Again, Packetpushers.net slash Slack. And uh, yeah, we're in a world where maybe you're looking for a job. Well, there's a jobs channel in that Slack group. Uh, People are posting opportunities all the time in there. Maybe you're looking for a career change. You could let people know that uh, you're interested and open to being chatted about uh, for that. And if you're going, dude, no, not another Slack group. I can't. Fine. There's a newsletter, packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Sign up for that instead. Human Infrastructure Magazine. It's a weekly. Makes you a better engineer by sharing good stuff about uh, career, how to perform complex technical tasks, IT news we think you might be affected by, and uh, a few heavily curated quick takes on vendor announcements. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.